And uh, if you're visiting, uh, we've been in a, a series here at Big Bella Grace where we've been looking at the last seven words that Jesus said while he was dying on the cross, and today we're wrapping it up. Um, anytime that you um, proclaim God's word, um, it, it has an impact on, on your life, on my life personally. I just don't stand up here and unload something on all of you and hope it does something to you, you know. It's always has an incredible impact on my own life. And as we have gone through these seven words that I have read more times than I could count over the years, just studying it and laying this thing out the way we have has, has really impacted my own life. And um, I enjoy my relationship with Jesus at a whole other level now than I did before I started this series. The first word from the cross was the word forgiveness. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The second word from the cross was the word assurance. Jesus looked at the thief next to him and said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The third word was the word family. Jesus looked down and said, dear woman, talking about his mother, here is your son. And then he said to his follower, follower who was John, here is your mother. The fourth word was the word humanity. Jesus said, I am thirsty. The fifth word was the word substitute. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then last week we looked at the, the sixth word, which was the word victory. Jesus said, it is finished. And today we're looking at the seventh and final word, which is the word trust. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 23. You can read it in your own Bibles. Or you can look at the uh, program that we've given out to you. Most of the verses will be in here, or they'll be on the jumbotrons, even over in the venue, because we want you to see the Word of God for yourself. It says this in verse 44. By this time it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Jesus was crucified at about 9 o'clock in the morning, and he actually dies at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The word goes on and says, the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And God tore this curtain as a way of saying that the barrier between God and man no longer exists. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. In Mark's gospel, it's recorded this way. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Beloved, this Roman officer had seen hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions. This is how the, the Romans uh, killed people. Uh, here in the United States, we may do it with a, an electric chair or a gas chamber or something like that. But in biblical days, their, their method of capital punishment was the, the, the cross. So this Roman officer had seen hundreds of people die on a cross, hundreds of them. But this one was, was way different. He'd never seen anything like this one, which is why he said, this man is innocent. 
Surely this man was the son of God. This one was, was different. He, he, he stops and he's now worshiping God. Now what was it about Jesus' crucifixion that this Roman soldier hadn't seen in hundreds or even thousands of other ones? Well, I, I think it's because he heard these last seven words. He was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus gave the word of forgiveness to his executioners, him. He, he, he saw Jesus look down at him and say, Father, forgive them, forgive him. But they don't know what they're doing. Beloved criminals normally don't say that to the people who are killing them. He heard Jesus say the word of assurance to the thief on the cross, I assure you that today you're going to be with me in, in, in paradise. Criminals don't normally say that kind of thing when they're suffering. And here's this Roman soldier who's watched hundreds and th you know, thousands of, of, of people die on a cross. It happened every day. And he's hearing this. He heard Jesus say the word of family to his mother and best friend, dear woman, here's your son, John, here's your mother. He saw Jesus caring for other people in the midst of his own agony. This was an unusual death. He heard Jesus say those final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it is finished. Criminals normally don't say that kind of thing. Then he heard Jesus say these final words, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And when he saw all this, it, it was obvious to him that Jesus was special. <laughs> it was obvious that, that Jesus was different. It was obvious to him that this really was the Son of God. And so he had only one response, and that was he worshiped. He worshiped. Huh. By the way, when, when Jesus said this, when he said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, he was quoting scripture. He was quoting Psalms 31. It says in Psalms 31, verse five, I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, O Lord, for you are a faithful God. So the very last thing that came out of the mouth of Jesus before he died was the word of God. Isn't that interesting? I thought about this a lot. Jesus isn't focusing on his pain. He's not focusing on, on how unfair life is. He's not angry and bitter and upset. He simply has his mind focused on God and his word. As I was going through this, I made a note to myself that some time in the future, I'm gonna do a whole series on how to die with dignity. Because you really see that in these last seven words. Jesus gives us an illustration of how we all ought to die. And here he is taking his last breath by quoting scriptures. Now there are four things that I, I think we learned from this statement here. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. There's way more than four, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tease out four of them. 
And these are four things that I think you need to really hang on to when you're facing difficult times or when you're facing depression or you're facing some disaster or maybe even when you're facing death. These are four things you need to hold on to when you're going through a dark time. And I know that some of you are going through a dark time right now. I know it. We all go through dark times. Jesus said in this life you're going to have troubles. And some of you right now are going through some troubling times. And if you're not in some troubling times today, you know, well, buckle your seatbelt because tomorrow's a new day. And I think these are four things that all of us can hang on to when those dark times come in our lives. Number one, when when you're going through a, a dark time, you need to remember that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. Jesus shouted, Father, 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 I entrust my spirit into your hands. In this horrible moment of of darkness, Jesus cries out to his Father. Why? Because he knew that his Father loved him deeply. The reason why Jesus cries out for his father was because he knew. He knew that his father loved him deeply. And beloved, you need to follow the example of Jesus here. When you're going through a difficult time, a a dark time, the first thing you need to do is cry out to your father. Because he loves you also. He loves you deeply. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us consider, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, this is one of the great theological truths. God is is love. The Father is love. Now, notice it doesn't say that God loves. It doesn't say that. Now, now the Father loves, but that's not what this says. It says that God is love. Now, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that God is love? Well, it means that it's in God's very nature to love. What does that mean? What does it mean that it's in God's very nature to love? Well, it means that God's love is different than human love. It means that God's love, God loves not because he finds some object like human beings worthy of his love. He simply loves because it's in his very nature to love. In other words, God's love for you has nothing to do with you, how good you are or how bad you are. God simply loves you because of who he is. God simply loves you Not because you're good, because you're good looking, because you got great, you know, SAT scores, because you're, you know, born in the United States of America, one nation under God. He doesn't love you because you're in church today. He doesn't love you because you gave an offering. He just loves you because it's in his very nature to love. And God proved this truth when he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrated his own love for us. 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you even though you were a sinner. He loved you even though you didn't want anything to do with him. He loved you even though you didn't believe in him. He loved you even though you mocked him and made fun of him and, and used his name in vain and mocked the church and made fun of the church. Because it's in his very nature to love. Some of you are here and you don't even believe in God. You didn't sing any of the songs. You know, you're just here. You think this is all, you know, stupid or corny or wacky or whatever. And you know what? God loves you. He loves you. And he proved it when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, even though you don't believe in him, even though you don't want anything to do with him. The cross proves that God's love for you has nothing to do with you, but had everything to do with him and who he is. It's in his very nature to love. And Paul, the, the great apostle, prayed that you'd have an understanding of just how great this love is. It says this in Ephesians chapter three, this is Paul praying, I pray that you and all of God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone could ever know. And that was Paul's prayer. And somehow we would have the power to understand just how much the Father loves us. Jesus said this in John chapter three, God so loved the world, you can put your own name in there, God so loved Rick Countryman that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you ought to underline that phrase, whoever believes in your Bible or your note sheets. Beloved, there isn't anybody who God won't love. There's nobody. Doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Paul, the, the man who wrote you know, most of the New Testament before he gave his life over to Jesus Christ was a persecutor of Christians. He participated in the killing of Christians, yet God's love is so wide and so long and so high and so deep and included him. Somebody who participated in killing Christians. The great apostle Peter actually denied knowing Jesus. Yet God's love is so wide and so long and so high and so deep, it included him. Imagine that. Mark, who wrote one of the Gospels, was on a missions trip with a, a bunch of people, and he got scared, and he ran off and, you know, left everybody else, you know, holding the bag. He, he, he was a coward. Yet God's love is so wide and so long and so high and so deep, it included him. <laughs> king David, who was Israel's greatest king, was an adulterer and a murderer. Yet God's love is so wide and so long and so high and so deep, it included him, an adulterer, a murderer. <laughs> Samson, who was 
special from birth, couldn't control his desires, and he ended up being a really a total loser. Yet God's love is so wide and so long and so high and so deep, it included him. Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. <laughs> Yet God's love is so wide, so long, so high, so deep, it included her. The Samaritan woman at the well had been married and divorced five times and was living with some guy. Yet God's love was so wide, so long, so high, so deep, it included her. And then I began to think about my own life. God's love was so wide and so long and so high and so deep and included me. Hmm. Beloved, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Doesn't matter. God's love is wide enough to include you. It's long enough to include you. It's high enough to include you and it's deep enough to include you. John said this in 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. And we really do need the power of God to understand how great that love is. That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Look, when you're in a dark place, when you're going through a difficult time, you need to remember how much the Father loves you. This is one of the great antidotes for loneliness or despair or depression or those dark seasons that often come in life. And they're going to come. Some of you are in them right now. And maybe the best thing you can do right now is just to think about the Father. He loves you. He loves you deeply. More than you'll ever know. And the cross proves it. Number, number two. When you're going through a dark time, you need to remember that you have a Father in heaven that you can trust. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. That word entrust is a a Greek word that means to commit. It means to deposit, to deposit something for safekeeping, kind of like a safe deposit box. When you own something that's really valuable or rare or expensive or whatever, and you don't want it stolen or, or broken, you take it to the bank and you entrust it into the care of the bank. You deposit it into a safe deposit box where it's kept safe. Well, this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, Father, I'm entrusting my life to you. I'm I'm depositing my life with you. I'm depositing my spirit with you. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you to keep me in your presence forever. And the reason why Jesus is saying this is because he knew the Father could be trusted. He knew that the Father could be trusted. And when you're going through a difficult time in life, you need to remember that not only does God love you, but you can trust him with whatever it is that's happening in your life. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's one of the most important questions that you can can answer. 
Who have you entrusted your life to? Who are you trusting in life? And I really want you to think about it. Who have you entrusted your life to? And I want you to know that the way you answer that question, who are you trusting in life, will determine a lot of things. It'll determine whether you're gonna be happy or miserable in this life. It'll determine whether you make something of your life or, or you waste it. Who you trust in life matters. So, I wanna take a second and I want you to think about it. I want us to consider um, you know, a few, few choices here, okay, some options. How many of you would say Congress? I think, I think I trust Congress. I'm gonna put my trust in Congress. How many of you would say the media? I think I'm gonna place my trust in the media and what it has to say or think about life or whatever. How many of you would say Hollywood? I'm gonna put my trust in, in you know, what's coming out of Hollywood or you know, the, the movies or the actors or actresses or whatever. How many of you would say the UN? I, 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 I'm gonna put my trust in the United Nations. That's who I'm gonna put my trust in. How many of you would say Oprah? I'm gonna put my trust in Oprah, and, and by the way, millions of people do, her, her brand of spirituality. How many of you would say the culture? I think I'm gonna trust in popular cultural opinion. How many of you would say the majority? I, I really put my trust in what the majority thinks. If the majority of people think this, then it must be right, and so that's what I'm gonna put my trust in. How many of you would say yourself? This is the one that most people choose, even a lot of Christians. They put their trust in themselves. They trust their gut, sometimes they'll say. They trust their emotions, they, they, they trust their heart, they, they follow their heart. Listen to what the great prophet Jeremiah said about your heart. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? When I was in Israel uh, a number of months ago, I got one of the greatest illustrations ever to support what the Word of God says to the prophet Jeremiah. We were all, uh, in fact, uh, DJ and Alex, we were in a room together, hanging out in a room together, and up on the TV was this big thing about Modesto, California. No joke, we were in Israel. And there's Modesto, California. It was about a 41-year-old um, teacher from Enox by the name of James Hooker. James Hooker left his wife and three kids. He left his wife and he left his three kids to be with a former student who was like 18 years old. And this is what he says. In making our choice, we've hurt a lot of people. 
your wife and three kids, three little kids, three little kids were in your crosshair. But he goes on. We kept asking ourselves, do we make everybody else happy? Or do we follow our hearts? Jeremiah is right. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. It is so wicked when you follow it, sometimes you'll blow off your three kids. That's how wicked it is. Unbelievable. And yet we got a lot of Christians running around saying, oh, you know, I'm just following my heart. Look, 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 don't ever follow your heart. Don't do it. Because what you're saying is, is I'm just trusting me. I've entrusted my life to me and my heart. And your heart's deceitfully wicked. Psalms 19 says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Well, that's descriptive. Look, I know about most of my sin. I'm very much acquainted with my sin. But the Bible says this, that you've got sin just lurking. Sins you don't even know. It's like, it's like they're hiding behind bushes. <laughs> just, just waiting. It's like, eee, yikes. But I'm following my heart. Don't ever say to me, in a counseling appointment or whatever, I'm following my heart. Because I will jump across the table and just <laughs> beat you. That, that, once you say that, I go, well, no wonder you're in here for counseling. That's your problem. You're following your heart. Don't do that. Get you in trouble. Let me give you four characteristics of someone you should entrust with your life. Okay, then I'm gonna give you a little bit of wisdom here as your pastor. Who should you, who should you trust? Well, number one, only entrust your life to somebody that always has your best interest in mind. Number two, only entrust your life to somebody that knows everything about everything. Number three, only entrust your life to somebody that's absolutely perfect. Number four, only entrust your life to somebody that will never lie to you. Now what that means is, when you look at these four things, is that your options are kind of limited, aren't they? In fact, you really only have one person that you can trust. And that's God. Because God always has your best interest in mind. He knows everything about everything, including you. He created you. He's absolutely perfect. He's God. And he'll never lie to you. And this is important. He's the only one that will tell you the truth 100% of the time. Everybody else in your life, including your spouse, will lie to you at one time or another. They'll shade the truth or they'll filter it or they'll make it sound nice or whatever, but not God. He's the only one who will tell you the truth. You know why? Because it's the truth that sets you free. You see, lies keep you in bondage. Lies about yourself, lies about others, lies about the world, lies about how life really is, lies about reality. 
They just simply, simply keep you in bondage. But it's the truth that sets you free. God tells you the truth about your life. You're sinful. Well, that's, not, that's, that's not fun to hear. The world isn't going to tell you that. Hey, you're all right. Come on. God tells you the truth about your life. Your sin broke the relationship between you and God. God tells you the truth about your life. Your, your sin came with a consequence, eternal separation from God. Hell. Well, that's not nice. I don't want to hear that. God tells you the truth about your life. You had no way to fix the consequences of your sin. None. And as crummy as, as those things are, and they are crummy, they're the truth, and the truth will set you free if you accept them. If you accept them. John said this in 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have no sin, we simply deceive ourselves and there is no truth in us. But if we confess our sins to God, he, God, will keep his promise and do what is right. He, God, will forgive us of our sins and he'll purify us from all our wrongdoings. Now look, let me quickly tell you three things God can't do. I'm often asked this, especially by kids, is there anything God can't do? Yeah, there's a lot of things God can't do. I'm gonna give you three real quick. Number one, God can't do anything wrong. In other words, God always does what is right. Deuteronomy 32 says he is a rock, his deeds are perfect, everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. Number two, God can't lie. He's holy, he always tells the truth. Hebrews 6 says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And number three, God can't break a promise. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. Psalm 145 says the Lord will keep all his promises. And one of the things that God promises is if you will accept the truth, admit the truth that you're sinful. If you'll admit the truth that your sin came with a consequence. If you'll admit the truth that you can't do enough good things to make things right between you and the Father. If you'll accept the truth, admit to the truth, and you would confess your sins to him, he says, he promises, I'll come into your life and I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll cleanse you from all those crummy things that messed up the relationship between us. Beloved, when you grasp these, these, these three things that God can't you know, do anything that's wrong and God can't lie and God always keeps his promises, you'll have no problem in trusting your life to him. No problem at all, even when you don't understand all that's going on in your life. When you understand these three truths, that, that God can't do anything wrong and he can't lie and he can't break his promise, even when things are haywire in your life and you don't understand it, you'll have no problem trusting him. When you're going through a dark time that you may not understand, if you grasp these truths, that God can't do anything wrong and he can't lie and he can't break his promise, you'll have no problem in trusting your life to him. Look, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't. 
But I do know this, is that you have a Father in heaven who loves you deeply. And you have a Father in heaven who you can entrust your life to. You can entrust the things of your life to, to him. Number three, when you're going through a dark time, you need to remember that you have a Father in heaven who you'll spend your eternity with. Jesus said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Christian, when, when you die, your body is buried in the ground, but your spirit lives on forever and ever and ever uh, with, the, with the Father in heaven. In other words, death isn't the end. One day your heart will stop beating, but your spirit will go on for eternity. Look, listen to me carefully. All this is, your flesh, is an earth suit. It just connects you to the physical. Paul said no good dwells in this. Someday this poof, drops to the ground, your heart stops beating, and they put you in a pine box and drop you, I don't know, six, eight feet under the ground. This doesn't go to heaven. This is all goofed up with sin. This is the headquarters of sin. But you're more than a body. Your spirit. And someday, Christian, when you take your last breath, your next breath's gonna be with the Lord in heaven. Jesus said, Father, I'm entrusting my spirit to be with you forever. Father, I'm, I'm coming home. Jesus had been down here on planet Earth for 33 years. And now he was gonna go back to heaven to be with his father forever. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for when we're away from these earthly bodies, we will be at home with the Lord. Look, as I get older, I see the, the influence of sin in my body. I'm falling apart. When I was, you know, like in my 20s and 30s, I used to, I used to mock guys like me. Look at that guy. Got hair growing out of his ears. <laughs> what a loser. Got hair. I used to have perfect vision. I was like a hawk. I, I, oh, there you are. I, I, my eyes are going bad. For no reason. I get out of bed in the morning, go, oh, 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 pulled a hammy, pulled my hammy, and I just got out of bed. That's all I did. I didn't do anything amazing. I just got out of bed, and it's like, oh, man, we're the anti-inflammatories, honey. I need the anti-inflammatories. I'm, I'm taking them now for no reason. Just, it's weird. My hair's, you know, coming out and up here and, or it's being jammed down through here. I don't, I don't know how that works, man. <laughs> My fingers are, got arthritis, man. It's like, ah, I've become the guy I, I, I used to mock. And guess what? As I get older, this body just decays. It's one of the ways that God takes us home is we just die of old age. We don't die in a car wreck. If we don't die of something else, we, we gotta get to the Father. 
for Jesus, he was dying on a cross at age 33. But there's only one way, Christian, you're going to get to the Father. You're going to die. And the most common way we get there is just through the decay of these bodies. They just, they just fall apart. We get old. But what's weird is this thing can be old and decaying, but the spirit within us is alive and well because we're way more than bodies. And Christian, when a hard time comes, you need to remember you got a father in heaven who loves you deeply. You got a father in heaven who you can entrust your life to. And you have a father in heaven who you are going to spend your eternity with. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. I, I have an address here and a zip code here. You want to send me a package or mail, you, I got an address here. But my citizenship isn't here. The moment I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I became a citizen of heaven. And someday, I'm going there. I know it. I know it. Someday when I take my last breath, look, if you hear, man, yeah, countryman had a heart attack, I don't know what happened, I died, I'm dead. Boom, dead. You'll, you'll know. I'm in the presence of the Father because I entrusted my life to him and he can be trusted. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25, then they, that's unbelievers, will go away to eternal punishment, that's hell, but the righteous believers, those that have given their life to Christ, those that have entrusted God with their lives to eternal life, heaven. Beloved, heaven and hell are real places, absolutely real, and they're both eternal places. In other words, you and I are gonna spend our eternity in one of those two places. Jesus believed in both, and he taught on both. And for those of us that have entrusted our lives to, 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 to Jesus, our great hope is, is that someday when we take our last breaths, we're gonna be with the Father. And that's something you need to hang on to when you're going through a dark time. And last but not least, number four, when you're going through a dark time, you need to remember that you have a Father in heaven who can handle anything you give him. Jesus said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And I love that phrase, into your hands. It's a beautiful expression of love and care and security and trust and ability. Listen to me, Christian. God can handle anything you give him, including your doubts. God doesn't go into a panic because you've got doubts. He can handle them. His shoulders are big enough to handle your doubts. This side of heaven and your humanity with this fleshly body that we've got, there's gonna be times when you have doubts and it's okay, God can handle them. His hands are big enough to handle that. His hands are, are big enough to handle your complaints. There are times when your pastor um, complains to the Father. Now I do it in a respectful way you can complain in a way that's rude and disrespectful and all of that. And guess what? God's hands are big enough to handle my complaints. And he's big enough to handle yours. 
His hands are big enough to handle your pain, big enough to handle your worries. Whatever it is you've got, God can handle it. His hands are big enough. We've all heard the commercial, you know, you're in good hands with Allstate, right? Well, what does that mean? It means you can trust them. It means that they'll take care of you. It means that when some crisis happens, they can be trusted. You're in good hands with Allstate, but let me tell you something, you're in a whole lot better hands when you trust in God's hands. And here we have Jesus saying, Father, I'm entrusting my spirit into your hands. Jesus knew God's hands, his Father's hands were big enough, strong enough to take care of him. Let me tell you three things about the hands of God. Number one, God's hands are big enough to bless you. The Bible says in Psalms 139, you go before me and follow me. You place your hands of blessing on my head and I thought about this, you know, this whole concept this week, and, and I got five people in my family, just five, and I, and I want to be a blessing to them. I'm always looking for ways to, to bless them and all that. And of course, when birthdays come around and, and anniversaries come around and, and those things, that's a great time to be a blessing to your family. Um, but sometimes I have a hard time tracking all those dates, if you know what I mean. And I, you know, since I'm in my 50s now, I have a lot of friends who know me quite well, and they'll, in their great love for me, will send me texts. Hey, today is, you know, someone's birthday. Your wife. Uh, <laughs> today is, you know, your anniversary kind of a, kind of a thing. And because it's a great chance to be a blessing, but I have a hard time tracking that, and I know some of you might also. You know, there are seven billion of us pretty close to it on planet Earth. And sometimes you might wonder, you know, is it possible for God to track everybody? How can God possibly bless my life or my family? I mean, I can't even track five people. Listen, God's not you or me. And his hands are big enough to bless your life. And he longs to do that. Number two, God's hands are scarred enough to never forget you. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 49, can a woman forget the baby she nurses? Can she feel no kindness for the child to which she has given birth? Even if she could, I will not forget you, God says. See, I have written your name on my hands. Isn't that an incredible imagery? God says, listen, I, I can't forget you. Your, your, your name has just been engraved in my hands. The Bible says and seems to indicate that when we finally do get to heaven, the, the, the nail prints are still going to be in Jesus' hands. We're, we're going to see the, the, the nail hole in his ankles. And I think the reason why we're going to see those when we're in heaven is because God doesn't want us to ever forget how we got there that his son had to scar his hands in a horrible way. And I want you to know that God's hands are so scarred up that he's just not gonna forget you. 
He went through a lot to save you, and he won't forget you. And number three, God's hands are strong enough to keep you. I love this little section here in John chapter 10. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus says, no one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. And he's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hands. Nobody can snatch them from the Father's hands. Beloved, God's hands are strong enough to keep you eternally secure. In other words, once you've put your life in God's hands, nobody can snatch you out of them. Nobody. Because if somebody could snatch you out of the Father's hands, there's no such thing as good news. It's not good news if somehow you could lose your salvation or you could walk away from your salvation or something like that. You can't. You're in the Father's hands. And they're big enough and they're strong enough to keep you, even when you go through seasons of doubt, even when you go through seasons where I don't know, it looks like you've walked away from the Lord. His hands are bigger than that. When my kids were little, I used to stand in the pool and I'd say, hey, trust me, trust me, come on, Megan. First it was Megan, trust me, Megan. Then it was, you know, Gracie, trust me. You know, and then it was Kay, trust me. And I always had to get right up next to the edge and it was like, Poof. they didn't even really jump. Poof. And it was like, Poof. okay, now let's try this again. And I'd back up a little bit. Now there's a little gap between you. And they there they'd be. And I'd say, trust me. Trust your father. Come on, trust me. And you could just see, you know, they were afraid and nervous and scared. Are or his hands big enough? Or is his, are they slippery? Are they wet? Is he going to drop me? And they would go through this whole process. And then there would come a moment when, whoo! And you know for them, it seemed like they were in the air forever. You know, <laughs> how long is this going to take? <laughs> and they're just, you know, it actually took like two seconds, but, and then boom, you catch them. <laughs> and then what do they always want to do? They want to do it again, huh? There's something exciting about taking a risk. There's something exciting about trusting your father. And they'd run around and jump again, and they'd run around and jump again, and, and now you're way out there, and then you go, okay, this time, why don't you jump and just land? And then I'll grab you after you take a couple of, ah, and then do that. Look, once you've trusted your father, once you've trusted him once and you've jumped and you've trusted him with something and you believe that his hands were big enough to hold you, wow, you'll want to do it over and over and over again. There's just something exciting about living by faith and trusting God in ways maybe you never have before. Beloved, some of you, for some of you, God is waiting for you to jump right now. He's waiting on you. He's saying, I love you. You can trust me. I can handle anything. And trust me with whatever it is that's going on. My hands are big enough. Beloved, this last statement from Jesus on the cross, Father, 
I entrust my spirit into your hands is a statement that you need to say maybe every day. When you're afraid, when you're scared to death and you're worried about something, you need to say, Father, I place my life into your hands. When you have a big decision to make about your family or your business or whatever, you need to say, Father, I place my, my life, my business into your hands. When you're stressed out and you're angry and you're bitter against people who've hurt you, you need to say, Father, I place my life into your hands. When you're lonely or you're ashamed or maybe you're filled with regret over something in your past, you need to say, Father, I'm entrusting my life into your hands. This is an incredible last statement that I think is applicable in all of the moments of our lives. In fact, I want you just to maybe close your eyes for just a moment. And a little earlier, Pastor Chad had you just imagine you're standing there with Jesus. And I want you to do the same thing. What's something that you just need to entrust to him in your life? What's something, you know, you're on the edge of the pool and you're just a little bit worried, you're just a little bit scared. And you know, you know God's calling you to jump. What is it? Maybe today is the day you say, God, here I go. I'm gonna trust my life into your hands. Maybe you just need to remember how much the Father loves you. Maybe you need to remember that he can be trusted. Maybe you need to remember that someday you're gonna spend your eternity with him forever in heaven. Could be that you're here or you're over in the venue and you need someone to pray for you. We have a room called the altar room where the spiritual leaders of our church are gathered right now and they'd love to pray with you. This weekend we've had lots of people going to the altar and just allowed the spiritual leaders to pray for them. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You could go into the altar room and say, hey, I need to know Christ as my Savior. I don't know him. And let us pray with you. The altar room's a place for you to go. Take advantage of it. Pastor Bobby, would you close our time in prayer?